Second pick, the Philadelphia Eagles select Donovan McNabb, quarterback, Syracuse University. Don't move. Welcome to the Boo Birds podcast. My name is John Sager. Joe Grenitz joins me as always. Joe, uh, how are you doing this weekend? Well, <laughs> I would have answered that question a little differently at about halftime of the Eagles game today, but uh, the afternoon certainly got interesting, didn't it? Uh, it did. It, it went from, do I kind of doze off into a bit of a, a malaise in the, the second half to, uh, you know, it's interesting. Maybe Jalen Hurts could come in, get some of that action, and then, wait a minute, they might actually win this. They're about to tie it. Oh, Yeah, no. we should have known better. <laughs> yeah, we should have known. It was, it was the proverbial, you know, you're, you almost wish they, they hadn't, yeah you know, pulled on the heartstrings that much. Outside of of sports, uh, that first uh, crisp fall weekend here in the Philadelphia area, like when you get that really chilly air in October, like you you put the blanket on at night instead of opening the window. I didn't go anywhere this weekend. So uh, what else is new over the last seven (laughs) months or so? But uh, I'd originally been thinking about playing golf, but ultimately going to try to put that off till next weekend. Do want to shout out my home course. Cobbs Creek Golf Club get ready to close up until June of 2023, undergoing a pretty big renovation, which has been talked about for years. So my buddy and I are going to try to make it out one last time before they dig up the home track. Oh, that that would be great. I see that you're trying to get the uh, the free rounds of golf in 2023 already. <laughs> that that would be me trying to get a sponsor of a course that's closing in two weeks. We'll take what we can get. You do anything fun this weekend? Uh, yeah, we we actually did take advantage of the the weather. We went out to Valley Forge and uh, met with some friends, uh, you know, for the first time in I think probably this year. We would normally hang out with them every couple of months, so it was a blast just to catch up. And then, of course, today's schedule taken up by our weekly appointment with the uh, psychiatrist. I'm sorry, no, the Eagles, which indicates <laughs> the need for a psychiatrist. But I digress. We'll talk about the Eagles game in a little bit, but first, let's take a look at the rest of the news. Joe, think you can take care of it this week? Oh, John, I sure can. We had a little breaking news Sunday afternoon not related to the Eagles. Philly's pitching coach, Brian Price, announced that he's retiring from a full-time coaching capacity. No word why or or if there's something more serious behind it, but hopefully... Everything's okay with him. The Phillies, regardless, will be on their fifth pitching coach in five years. Not good. The biggest story in Philadelphia sports this week, whether you like it or not, was the union announcing the transfer of Brendan Aronson to Red Bull Salzburg in the Austrian Bundesliga. Aronson will head overseas in January for a fee of $6 million, with a potential $3 million more on the way. It is the largest transfer fee in MLS history for a homegrown player and the biggest transaction between Philadelphia and Red Bull since Jojo Romero's last Amazon pantry order. University of Florida head coach Dan Mullen was one of many associated with the program to test positive for COVID-19 last week, leading to the postponement of the Gators' home game against LSU after Mullen twice stated that he wanted to have 90,000 people in the stadium for the game. I called him out for it on last week's pod, but this virus is serious business, so I won't dunk on him here because I can't jump that high. 
On Friday night, Dodgers catcher Will Smith said, yo, Holmes, smell you later to a pitch from the Braves' Will Smith. It's the first time in Major League postseason history that a batter has faced a pitcher with the same name. Meanwhile, Braves pitcher Chris Martin is on his way to London to strike out Coldplay. The Tampa Bay Rays beat the Houston Astros in seven games to win the American League pennant on Saturday night. The Rays will meet the Los Angeles Dodgers in the World Series, set to begin later this week at Globe Life Park in Arlington, Texas. There will be fans in attendance at the games, but since it's the Dodgers playing, they'll be gone by the sixth inning. The Sixers made a couple of front office hires, bringing in Peter Dinwiddie from the Indiana Pacers and Prosper Carangua from the Orlando Magic. That seems to be it for now, but the fans are hoping for one more. Speaking of the Sixers, Doc Rivers has hired his first assistant coach, former Grizzlies and Kings coach Dave Yeager. The hire completes the Philadelphia sports power trio of Yeager, Rager, and Sager. Wait, John, did you hack my notes? And that's the news. Hey, Joe, what are you drinking? I got a little, uh, 1911 established cider donut, premium small batch hard cider. It's a, it's a 16 ounce can, the kind of, kind of can you need to get through an afternoon like today. Of course, I waited until tonight to open it, but, uh, a little sweet, a little tart. It kind of, kind of fits my personality perfectly. Hey, John, what are you drinking? Water, probably about four to five ounces, hopefully the 2020 vintage, uh, and no lead. I hope. And that was What Are You Drinking? Brought to you this week by Seriously, I think John hacked my notes. All right. Well, another week, another Eagles loss. Uh, This one was a very unusual game. Uh, Definitely the poster child for why you don't leave a game early. Yeah. (laughs) The Eagles went down uh, 17-0 in the, the first half. Um, Carson Wentz not really able to get much going in the in the passing game. Running game, same story. Uh, defense just being lit up by Lamar Jackson, which isn't really anything new in the NFL. Um, and then Baltimore never really put the game away. Um, the Eagles clawed back in the fourth quarter, and it's you know wound up almost accomplishing the unthinkable comeback, but ultimately fell 30 to 28. I think this game, as much as any that I can remember across any sport, lived up to that adage of the final score not really being indicative of how the game went. Um, It's really hard to take too much, you know, good from the second half performance because kind of like you said, Baltimore just didn't put the game away. It seemed like the Ravens kind of, you know, they didn't let up, but at the same time, you know, they came out in the first half and just bossed the game. And the second half was just kind of kind of weird. You know, it's like, oh, the Eagles had a two point conversion to tie the game. Well, I mean, there, there's no such thing as deserve in sports. There's a final score and and that's that's the result. And, you know, you know, you are what your record is, et cetera, et cetera. But it would have been one of those things where had they tied the game, had they come back and won it, that would have absolutely have been an undeserved stolen victory. It would have counted nonetheless, but it wouldn't be one where you say, wow, the Eagles went out and beat the Ravens. You would look at it and say, I really have no idea what happened there. It was definitely a tale of two halves, but even more than that, just I, I, I really don't know what to make of it on a macro scale. Right. I think ultimately it would have been more of a Ravens loss. The Eagles, oh, for sure. Eagles win just because they were unable to to put the game away. And, um, and if I'm a Ravens fan, I mean, I'm taking the win. I'm not considering it a loss, but I'm if I'm a Ravens fan, I'm a lot more concerned than I am, you know, buoyed by it as an Eagles fan. Right. The, I think this is a team that in the beginning of the year, you looked at it as maybe a Super Bowl team. 
they're definitely still a playoff team. I, I don't know if they have what it takes to get to the to the highest level, um, but they're they're certainly good nonetheless. Uh, Lamar Jackson, uh, you know, as good as one would uh, expect. He affected both sides of the ball, not too much in terms of yardage with passing. It only had 186, but he had a, a absolutely electric moment in the the first quarter that touchdown pass where he just froze the defender with a fake, almost a uh, something you'd see in the NBA where right. you know you get a crossover and you know you break someone's ankles. Uh, but it was. Absolutely phenomenal play. Don't don't say that because of the way that injuries have been hitting the Eagles this year. We don't want to give the gods any ideas. <laughs> but yeah, no, that play was it was it was the kind of thing that on some level I'm surprised you don't see more often. Just because you know the, the, almost the best way to fake a guy out is to just stop moving. But there are maybe two guys in the league that can do that play. Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes. But the thing I'm taking from what you said that's more shocking is that that you think maybe less of the Ravens now than you did before the season. Uh, they're absolutely still a Super Bowl contender. The issue they could run into is that, you know, obviously so are the Chiefs. The Steelers are undefeated in that division, and they looked really good today. Are the Bills really good? Are the Titans really good? Uh, there, there are some really good teams in the AFC, and I didn't even mention Cleveland, who's 4-2, and two, but they got shellacked today, and I think that they are probably – one of those sort of, you know, paper tiger type teams that might win nine or 10 games and then gets humiliated in the first round of the playoffs. And you're like, oh, yeah, we should have seen that coming. But I, I think that that the Ravens are absolutely one of the top couple of teams in the NFL. I would have said that the Packers are up there, but they got embarrassed today down in Tampa. So I I. I I would definitely consider them one of the top couple of teams in the league still, even with what I consider a little bit of a hiccup in the second half today. I totally agree with you. I think this year, more than any other year, uh, the NFL is the a haves and haves nots type of league. When I was looking at the uh, game tracker on the bottom, I was shocked at the amount of one win teams that I saw. One or fewer, actually. <laughs> in the um, NFC East alone. Yes. Uh, it's just uh, just a really bad year and speaking of bad years well the eagles uh you know not lighting it up but thanks to the nfc east still in the playoff hunt somehow um their most important game this week uh, before thursday the nfl week that is is actually going to be dallas and arizona to see how much the eagles are still in it if dallas is able to put a little bit of distance in not that, that it would be an insurmountable lead but you know whether whether this would be a very contested division or not um and then the eagles uh, certainly have a game on thursday night that will be critical but um joe what did you think of this game was was there anything good to take away from it uh yeah it's over uh, <laughs> <laughs> i think the best thing about today's game is that carson wentz left it intact um miles sanders got hurt and a couple of injuries on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, there was a tight end, I believe, named Jason Kroom, whose name I had literally never even heard of before, let alone seen on the football field. And he was out there playing for the Eagles today, especially with an incredibly short week. It, I normally would think that they should still be good enough to beat the Giants. And we can talk about that game 
later on, but the injuries worry me. I, I think that the one good thing that I'm drawing away from this is that Carson Wentz got through the game with his health intact um, because, you know, you mentioned he didn't have a great start. The Eagles had three, three and outs to start the game. Then they had a drive end on a Carson Wentz fumble on, I believe the first play. And then the next drive also three and out. They didn't have a first down until the middle of the second quarter. All of that was, was very bad. Not really Carson Wentz's fault. He was playing behind one of the worst offensive lines he's ever had. He's still going to be the one to carry this team to wherever it is that it's going to go for better or for worse. So to get him out of the game on his own two feet is probably the best takeaway. Did you have anything that you saw that was really good that stood out to you? Right. And your point is especially true because the way the Eagles are filling the roster, it's almost like the eighth or ninth inning of an early spring training game where there are guys coming in wearing the number 79 that you have never heard of before. As far as the, uh, you know, the good long-term takeaway from this is that Travis Fulgham, I wasn't sure how much his game against Pittsburgh was a flash in the pan, but he came alive in the fourth quarter. And I think he cemented being a plus NFL presence. He's probably not going to be a number, your typical number one receiver, but you know, if he's a, a second receiver, some kind of number two option for most teams, that's uh, a, an ace for the Eagles, the, w- the way their receivers have been the last couple of years. So I think him being able to step forward and help the offense uh, get its mojo back at the end of the game was, was huge. The, the the thing with him, I mean, he had that big catch in San Francisco and then a breakout game in Pittsburgh. The thing for him moving forward is that he's not going to surprise anyone anymore. Uh, the Ravens have Marlon Humphrey on him throughout this game. Marlon Humphrey, who just signed a big long-term contract, he's their number one cornerback, and he was on Travis Fulgham. And Fulgham eventually was still able to get into the offense and do some things. He's not going to surprise anyone anymore. And today, against a good defense, he made some big plays. So you talk about being a number one or a number two. He showed that he belongs on that level, at least at the very least, for this team right now. Uh, That was the big thing to come from his game for me, just that, you know, everybody knows who he is now and he is going to draw attention. How will he deal with that? And I think he dealt with that pretty well. Right. And if you are able to get a somewhat healthy Deshaun Jackson back or a somewhat healthy Alshon Jeffrey back to where you have someone who can allow the the defense to to spread out a little bit more. Uh I Greg Ward isn't that guy. I think he he's a is a capable NFL receiver. Um but I I I think he speaks exactly to what you were talking about with Fogum's concerns. Um last year he was able to kind of take people by surprise, but now he's being accounted for a little bit more. So Right. Um I I think just being able to have two guys again <laughs> is a major plus for Carson Wentz, who really hasn't had much. I know we were harsh on Wentz earlier in the year, but as Fulgham kind of comes to the rescue, you can see exactly what he's lacking. And that certainly plays into his struggles. Speaking of struggles, the defense, 
Uh, not great in the first half. I know they were on the field an awful lot. But this is yet again another game where they can't force any turnovers. You're not going to win in the NFL if you lose the turnover battle. I don't know what it's going to take. I don't know if it's scheme. I don't know if it's coaching for the little things like, uh, you know, reaching for the ball. Like, I, you know, when when you're tackling, when you know, when the second tackler comes in to kind of punch the ball out. It's, it's really defies logic that usually you fall into a couple of turnovers uh, along the way and, <laughs> or fall on them <laughs> yes uh, that's the hashtag jj ortega white side yes uh who had hit the best game of his career today <laughs> hands down i don't have to actually look up any Scored stats to eight see points that. yes i i don't have to look up any stats for that i could say with certainty jj still not a great player however you know <laughs> he I'll had a better day than John get. Hightower, that's for sure. Exactly. Although Hightower, to his credit, he I think he bounced back a little bit uh, after maybe uh, that that dropped pass early on was you, you wondered if that was going to flip the switch and get the offense going. But uh, I I think he, you know, he's a rookie receiver, so you're you know the pluses and minuses all over. Is he's not going to be consistent yet, but. Um, you know, maybe this receiving core is starting to, to take some strides forward. Yeah, I think just having options, like we've talked about it so many times, will be important for Wentz. And, you know, it doesn't have to be the same guys every week. You know, Travis Fulgham is a guy that he trusts now. And yeah, John Hightower had that drop, but he went back to him later. John Hightower doesn't have to have a big game every week. Travis Fulgham doesn't have to have a big game every week, but they just have to have one of them has a good game every week. So that is is certainly certainly that growth that that you talked about is is going to be huge as they get into the middle part of the season uh my one bad thing was just you know early on i i <laughs> they made such a big deal about having fans back in the building this week and how exciting it would be to play in front of their fans and then they went out and played that first quarter that they did especially on offense and granted that high tower drop was probably a big part of it but I don't know if Doug scripts his first 15 plays like a lot of coaches do, but throw the script out because that was arguably the worst quarter of football that I've ever seen the Eagles play. And as far as I'm concerned, team history started when I was born. So I'm going to call it the worst quarter of football in Eagles history. Your um, Eagles history. They were least. outgained in my Eagles history. They were outgained 150 to negative seven at one point was the graphic on the screen. That's not good. And you can't win a game in the first quarter, but you sure can lose it. And I thought there were two things that really cost them dearly in this game. We're going to talk about the second one in a minute. But the first one being getting out to such a horrific start. You know, there's no shame in giving up a touchdown to Lamar Jackson in the first quarter. But to run a total of like 10 plays or whatever it was, one of them being a fumble. That's awful. And it's really difficult to overcome a bad start. It's even more difficult to overcome a start of that magnitude of awfulness. And we saw today they played much better in the second half, but they came up short. Doug has got to stop with all the two point conversions like down 17, nothing. You get that touchdown. And then you go for two. So now you're down 11. So now you know you're going to have to go for two later on down the road. You'd rather be down 10 than 11. Just kick the extra point. 
you have a pretty good kicker. You were going to run him out there to kick a 60-yard field goal against the Bengals. You did run him out there last week to try to kick a 57-yarder in one of the weirdest wind stadiums in the league. And yet today you didn't try a single extra point. Now, because they converted two of those two-point conversions, the score ended up being what it would have been if they had kicked each time. But there is a difference between being down 11 points and being down 10 points. And then when when the Ravens scored to make it 24-6, it's an 18-point game instead of a 17-point game. You're, you're turning it into a three-possession game with those possessions being touchdowns. And when you're forced to go for touchdowns instead of field goals, it changes the way that you call the game and the way everything goes. And like I, I don't know that it necessarily cost them the game today, thinking about it now, but I also don't know how they would have approached the game differently had a field goal been a helpful score. You know, it's 30 to 22, under four minutes to go, you've got to score a touchdown and go for two to tie it because you used your timeouts defensively. But if they were in a position where, you know, a field goal, if they had a little more time and could have kicked a field goal, would they have done it? Maybe you would think they would have, but then again, you know, call Ron Rivera, Riverboat Ron. I don't even know what is it. Dice rolling Doug here with the two point conversions. It, it's like what I talked about last week. There didn't seem any rhyme or reason to it when he does it. I, I, I will give him credit this week. He he went for it every time. So, OK, fine. There's some consistency in thought, but it's just it's just really frustrating to see. I'm I'm I, I know earlier I just said that, you know, there's no deserve and sports have results, et cetera. But I am concerned about process, and this is a process that, you know, the math says, you know, yeah, go for two. But unless you're going to do it every single time for the entire season, you can't pick and choose. He didn't pick and choose today, but the first time I saw it, I was just like, are you kidding me, man? There's no reason to do this. So I I don't know if I've talked myself out of it during this little rant here, but I just... I just want to see them kick it once, you know, let's keep it at a situation like 10 points instead of 11, like maybe later in the game, you know, in the second half, you start gaming things out that way. But in the second quarter, you've just been getting curb stomped for the last however long you've been out there. Just put the points on the board, make it a 10 point game. Let your defense try to settle in. I, it just, I sound like such an old geezer, but it, it bugs me to see him go for two on the first touchdown of the game every week. Well, one thing I think we'd both agree with during that rant is that neither of us are bound for Atlantic City. Maybe you with the uh, the copywriting on the uh, dice rolling Doug. <laughs> for me, it's on picking the Eagles. Uh, you know, looking at my season, it's been winless so far. This game might have actually had, had a case. Uh, I'll throw myself on the court here. Uh, I think my score was closer, but you certainly had the best player pick we both went with the very risky Lamar Jackson as the Ravens offensive standout pick. Yeah, nothing like picking the best player on the field across both teams to be a standout. Yes, I think we'd both agree uh, our football acumen is just tops. Well, for the record, John, I have been baking Doug's predilection for random two point conversions into my picks predilection yet another word for the boo birds podcast bingo card <laughs> i i originally had the eagles with 24 points as you did but before i i submitted my picks i was like 
no, I'm I'm thinking there's a missed two pointer somewhere along the line, and uh, and I, and I bumped it down to a 23. But yeah, I um I do think that while your score was a little closer, uh, we both basically picked the Eagles to get handled. And I think they did. The score not really belying that, but you had Patrick Queen from the uh, Ravens, who was their leading tackler coming into the game as your defensive standout. Good logic. I um. I have Marlon Humphrey originally. He ended up with eight tackles, so I might feel kind of silly for changing it. Instead, though, I changed it to Calais Campbell, who just went out there and completely destroyed the Eagles offensive line. Three sacks on the day. I have absolutely no problems claiming victory on this one. See, I, I've always thought that the score was the harder thing in, in this picture, that that's what should be rewarded. We haven't talked about this on record before. <laughs> so I think we'll we'll go with that. Since neither of us agrees, is it fair to say that this is yet another tie? No, no, you, you aren't close enough on the score. I think the fair thing to do is throw this up on Twitter and see what the Boobirds fan and or fans, uh, how they may rule on this just to just to see. I think we we agree to disagree. We'll uh we'll put it up on Twitter and uh by the time we make our picks for Thursday's game, which should be Thursday afternoon, we'll see uh We'll see how the the poll goes, but I am I I will not agree not to vote. So I think you should probably go and vote for yourself because I'm going to go vote for myself. But yeah, we'll put that up there and we'll let the uh, the crowd decide. But we I, I just mentioned Thursday's game, the Giants with a win over Washington today. Riverboat Ron went for two at the end of that game. Washington didn't make it, so the Giants got their first win of the year, pulling them into a third place tie with football team for third place in the division kind of more of a a Washington handing the game to the Giants there uh I I was looking at this game as the end of a tough three-game stretch for the Eagles but the short week the injuries we we don't know if Miles Sanders is going to be okay uh I'm not looking forward to this one I I still think you know, not to tip my hand here, I still think I'm going to pick the Eagles to win this one, but it's not going to be as easy a game as it should be. No, and I'm going to hold off. I usually do my picks earlier in the week. I'm going to hold off a little closer to the game just because of the uh, the aforementioned injuries that, you know, if Miles Sanders is suddenly unavailable, that definitely does change things. Hopefully that's Hopefully that's not the case. Our picks will be up at noon on Thursday afternoon. And in that story, we'll probably reveal who won this week's game. We may let the voting go on a little longer just to give everyone a little sample of what they're going to see in early November, where the election won't be over till <laughs> well after Election Day. But we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. And uh, we'll have our picks up around noon on Thursday. Yes. And this would be a last minute appeal to Brian Colangelo to both and or all of your Twitter accounts. Vote for John. All right, John, let's take a break. And then when we come back, we can talk about the Major League Baseball playoffs. I mentioned the World Series will be getting underway later this week. Then we can talk a little bit about the Sixers. So stick around. We'll be right back on the Boo Birds podcast.
All right, and we're back. Uh, looking at one of the Philadelphia's other teams not playing right now, the Sixers, they hired Doc Rivers. We both agreed that was a good hiring decision. Uh, they're adding to the coaching staff and to the front office, getting ready for a very unusual NBA season. Um, how do you see the development of the team under Doc Rivers playing out in the in the short term? Uh, you know, what can they do right now? Because I think we both agree that this is probably the last run for the the four players with max contracts. Is that correct? Um, I'm hoping that that last run with those four was last year. I think the number one goal for the Sixers now that they're clearly not going to hire a higher powered, better front office executive should be to get rid of that Al Horford contract. Uh, that should be priority number one. Um, but if everyone's back, uh, you're going to have to do some, some really deep, you know, unearthing some gems sort of, of diving here to try to find some guys to surround that core. We've talked about it before. Everyone talks about adding shooters. Well, you're not going to find shooters on the cheap necessarily. So I, I would prefer to see that core broken up, but not the way that people keep speculating on. I want Ben Simmons back. I want Joel Embiid back. I'm fine with Tobias Harris being back. I just think that the top priority should be making sure that Al Horford never wears a Sixers jersey on an NBA floor again. Well, I agree that Al Horford no longer being a Sixer would be ideal. Unfortunately, you do have another team to take that contract. I don't want to be the podcast that's pitching the fantasy trades where you have to do Al Horford for LeBron. <laughs> You know, I, I don't I don't know, although the NBA does have a way of making garbage contracts work. Um, I, I don't know if you'd be able to just get rid of the contract. Uh, I don't know what expendable parts they have with uh, Ben and Joe, you know, it, obviously trying to build around them. Uh, Tobias, I think, is someone you'd want to keep uh, just for a quick fix. And I don't know if anyone would, would be willing to take his max contract as well it's a very tricky situation i think the worst part about the al horford contract is you've locked yourself in you've killed the the flexibility so with that in mind i think what they have to do is go back to what what they saw when they originally signed him this bully ball style um if you've got bigs that can play defense have bigs that can play defense don't have this Joel shooting a few threes a game type of thing, you know, maybe he gets one. I think they have to go back to, um, you know, what a basketball team should look like. Make your center, play center, have your point guard, you know, drive in, dish out, don't hesitate. It's one thing Ben Simmons does that kind of drives me nuts is sometimes I'm not sure how committed he is to drive or he'll kind of drive in and then he doesn't finish. So I think he needs to you know, be better with deciding to finish or kick out to a shooter. He's afraid of getting fouled is what it is. I th- I think so. He's afraid exactly. of going to the free throw line and missing the free throws. And and so right. that's why he he won't do that. It's interesting to hear you say that, like, I, it sounds like we're recording this podcast in 1997 to hear you say that. We talked about Daryl Morey and how he changed the NBA with the the style of play, with the threes and, and close twos. The, the Sixers seemed like they tried to go in the opposite direction, like you said, and it was a failure. Um, now, if you believe that that style can work, 
under a different coach. That's a different thing. And that sounds to me like that's what you're saying. I, I, I just, I don't know how you're going to get Joel Embiid to do that. And I know that, you know, he's an adult and he's a professional with a contract and he should buy into what the team wants him to do. But we've seen that he plays better when he's having fun. A lot of guys do. And it pains me to say that you should cater to the whims of a star player. But the NBA is a superstar league and guys who are unhappy have an inordinate effect on a team, especially when you only have five guys on the floor at once. So I don't know that telling Joel Embiid he can't shoot threes anymore is a good idea. Um, Maybe you limit him to one. You said one a game, maybe one a quarter, one a half or something. I don't know. But maybe a more coherent offense where when he gets those three pointers, they're better looks and they're not like, ah, Joel's open with 19 on the shot clock. Fire it up. I mean, that's how I could see it working. But I just, I just, I think I disagree with the whole thought behind trying to lean into being the big team because when you're a big team, you're generally a slow team and this league isn't slow anymore. Now, granted, you always want to be ahead of the next change and I don't know if the league is going to change back to a size-oriented league in that way, but I just think you need to do everything possible, and and that includes what we had heard at the start of the offseason for the Sixers, the whole Al Horford for Chris Paul thing. Paul's contract even bigger, and he is also on the wrong side of the age curve, but his game and what he can do on the floor is so diametrically different from Horford that if you're going to have a monster contract, it may be better to have his than Horford's. Do you think that uh, Chris Paul and Ben Simmons can coexist? I think Chris Paul would be a, a good mentor for Ben Simmons because you take a lot of that ball handling responsibility away from Simmons. So you don't have to worry about him driving to the hoop and being afraid of getting fouled. Um, I mean, of course, there'll have to be some buy-in. He plays better with the ball in his hands, and he's not going to have it in his hands as often. But I, I think, and not to be cynical, you also have to factor in that Chris Paul's probably not going to play more than sixty or seventy percent of your regular season games. So, I don't, I, I don't, I don't have like a, a an in-depth, you know, enlightening answer to that question. But I think if if Ben Simmons can't play with Chris Paul, that's Ben Simmons' issue more than it's anyone else's. And if you have a chance to play with a future Hall of Famer like that, you need to embrace it and eat up everything that you can in those practices and those meetings and everything. And it'll make him a better player. I I totally agree with that. Uh, the only thing, I, I if they could dump the Horford contract for Chris Paul, I would do that. And then hopefully they can figure out how to how to make it work. Uh, maybe Ben Simmons plays a couple different positions, but it's early on in the NBA offseason. I'm starting to see some trade rumors swirl. I don't know how much of that is people just kicking stuff up or if it's there's a little truth behind it. But, uh, you know, if if they're able to move the Horford contract, I, I think that's a that would be a win. And given how poorly he played last year, that would be, that would be something that we could see for Elton Brand knowing that he's not going to double down on his mistakes, which is a huge plus for an executive. Yeah. A lot of those uh, trade rumor type things early on. I've also seen a lot of people firing up Photoshop. 
I've seen Ben Simmons in a Bulls jersey, Joel Embiid in a Rockets jersey. I've seen them both in Warriors jerseys. Uh, none of them look quite as good as a Sixers jersey, but it uh, it is enough to uh, raise a level of concern, I think, among the fans. Hopefully Elton does the right thing. But they they did just make some additions to their front office. It seems like Elton Brand's still going to be in charge. So on the whole, not a passing grade for me. These might be great executives, but they they needed a full and complete house cleaning in that front office. No offense to Elton, but um, but the one thing they did do that I think was uh, a great hire was that Doc Rivers brought in, as we mentioned, Dave Yeager, former NBA head coach. That's a pretty good get for your bench. Uh, I can't imagine he'll be here more than one year. He'll probably get a job somewhere else as soon as the next round of openings appears next season. But for however long he's here, I think that's going to be a good good hire. He's a defensive coach, and hopefully that will get the Sixers back to what they did best before this season, and that was defend. Well, speaking of Philadelphia front offices in turmoil, the Phillies GM search is still happening still uh, underway or it hasn't quite gotten underway yet <laughs> hard hard to see there i think they're more interested in cutting at this point right. uh, before they they get into the addition i haven't seen too many rumors it's it's hard to tell um uh, this being the socially distant offseason as it is I, I don't think candidates are going to come in unless they're in the final stages of the interview process yeah there's no uh tracking flights and Fans waiting outside Citizens Bank Park for Manny Machado this year. No, no. Uh, John Clark might have a lot more time on his hands. <laughs> yeah, I have no problem with the fact that you know the season's been over for three weeks and we really don't know anything yet because it's more important to get it done right than to get it done quickly in this case. Especially right. baseball is not like basketball where things happen yesterday. Right. The offseason takes has a bit more of a extended pace to it. You have to see the embers of the hot stove, you know, light up in real time. <laughs> As we approach the the start of the World Series, though, that does start the countdown to the end of the World Series. And five days after the end of the World Series is when free agency begins. And that's when everyone will be constantly refreshing their Twitter feeds for the JT Real Muto sweepstakes. But I, I think it's important that they they do the right thing and get the right person, especially Looking at what we've seen, I mean, just talk about the final four from baseball. You had the Astros who had that whole scandal that wrecked their front office, got their manager fired, and they were one game away from being in three out of four World Series. Uh, The Rays, they do things a little differently, and there are people who don't like them because of that. There are people who admire them for it. Doesn't matter. They're back in the World Series for the first time in 12 years. Uh, here's hoping that World Series goes better for them than the one in 2008 did. Um, I think we both remember that one fondly. But then in the National League, look at the last two teams standing, the Braves and the Dodgers. While the Braves are in the Phillies division, the Dodgers are the behemoth that they've been for the better part of the decade. And those teams aren't good this year. They're good this year and set up for the next five, 10 years down the line with with young players and good systems. And it's a thing where like, I don't think the Phillies need to target being better than them. I think they need to just compete with them at the major league level because, you know, a short series, anything can happen. They've got two top notch pitchers that can go toe to toe with any one, two in the league. And that means so much in the playoffs. 
but it's everything else. So you, you really want to get JT Romuto, of course, back. But if you don't, you've got to make sure that you have a lineup. You can run out there every day and you have a plan for how you're going to supplement that lineup and replace guys as they age out or reach free agency as time goes forward because the Dodgers and the Braves, they're not going anywhere. The Marlins may not be going anywhere. You know, the Cubs are always going to be a threat because they've got a big market there and, you know, they went through a rebuild not too long ago. I don't foresee them seeking to do that anytime soon. The Padres... They may have to retool a little bit instead of... They may have a down year, but they're not going to go back in the tank. Yeah. The Padres are going to be really good and a lot of fun to watch for a while. It's it's, it's a loaded field in the National League, and the Phillies have as much Major League talent as anyone. It's it's everything else that we're worried about. Right. It's the entire 40-man roster depth. Right. And then, then, but not just your 40-man roster in 2021. Right. Your 40-man roster in 2024 and 2025, because the Braves and the Dodgers, they're still going to be there. So what is your plan? What is your strategy for how to compete with those teams, not just now, but moving forward? I think that 2021 could be a playoff year for the Phillies, even under the former system. It could also be an 82 and 80 sort of year. So it's an important hire. And, you know, John Middleton is going to handle the real Muto negotiations anyway. I think we both agree on that. Uh, he's one for one. He, he landed Bryce Harper, but it's important that somebody comes in that is going to be committed to getting the organization competitive in the short term and healthy in the long term. You know, I completely agree. The, you know, looking at the organizational problems, it's with a payroll that large, they certainly have talent. They're not devoid of talent, but I, you know, I think the season would have been a whole lot worse if it had been 162 instead of 60 uh, with the way their the roster flaws were exposed towards the end. Uh, granted, they had a lot of guys go down to injury, but um, you know, the, the bullpen, complete disaster. Um, I think they benefited by having a DH because I don't know what they would have done with Jay Bruce otherwise. Right. I, um, I agree with your sentiment about the full season. However, I do think that it would have been a better year maybe if it had been a 70 game season or 72 game season with the expanded playoffs. I, I, it just, it felt like one of those sort of years down, then up, then down, then up and then down. I could see them easily getting back into second place with 12 more games to play, but also easily see them finishing fourth if they had had a hundred more games to play. Right. Bryce might've benefited from a a stint on the 10 day DL because of the back issues. Same thing with JT down the stretch. Or even just a few days of rest that you really couldn't afford to give him. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's a good place for us to stop, John. We're going to have a lot of stuff in a short amount of time. We've got, like we said, the quick picks will be out on Thursday. Another Eagles game Thursday night. Do you have anything that you're working on for the website this week? No, uh, not now. I think after doing a deep dive into Eagles drafting and Phillies drafting and then five teams that JT Real Milto uh, might wind up with, uh, need to take a little bit of a break. I read that story and I got progressively angrier at the situation as I read it. So thanks for doing that to me, John. I really appreciate it. Anything I can do for you. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, and more. Download, subscribe, give us a five-star review. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at Boo Birds Podcast. 
And of course, like I mentioned, our website, boobirdspodcast.com. John's got a lot of pieces on there about various different things. I, not as many, but that'll do it for us this week. John, take care. Short week. Enjoy the game Thursday night, and I'll talk to you next time. All right. See you next week. <laughs>